0: I don't seem to understand but I know I know who holds my hand. I don't know about tomorrow. It may bring me poverty. But the one who feeds the sparrow is the one who stands by me. And the path that is my portion may be through the flame or flood, but His presence goes before me and I'm covered with His blood. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand.
1: Praise the Lord. We do have a God that's there for us. Amen. Holding our hand. Well, we do have our uh, New Year's service on Wednesday. It'll start at 8 o'clock. Wednesday at 8 o'clock. And we're going to be having some refreshments and food. But let me just say it this way. Whatever you bring is what we will eat, okay? So you bring a covered dish, all right? Don't bring something just for you. I got two pieces of chicken and a little bit of potato. And I'm good to go. No, bring some for the rest of us, all right? And uh, I like fried chicken. You could bring something for me. Um, I like potatoes. I like all kind of things, as you, my wife would uh, tell you. But but literally, bring something with you. And whatever we have, we have. And whatever we is left is left. But I don't think there will be much. So bring it in Wednesday night. Uh, it'll be, we'll be open a little early. If you want to stop in for a few minutes early, bring it right at 8. That's fine, too. We'll get things started. Our service will begin at 8 o'clock. And we'll be having kind of a light night type thing. So we're going to have a number of preachers, five-minute messages for those that are what, junior high and up. And uh, those that are junior high, below junior high are only three minutes. So there might be some children sharing the word of God. There'll be some adults. Uh, there'll be some teenagers. And again, we're our, we're giving our young men an opportunity to preach the gospel, to give an opportunity to proclaim the truth. And I'm going to ask you to stick to the blood. I'm going to ask you to stick to the, to the, to the message of salvation. I'm going to ask you to stick to the basics, the fundamentals. Uh, we don't need anybody getting in here and teaching on economics or anything, all right? We just want the gospel, the basic fundamentals of the Word of God, all right? So nail it, knock it out, leave all that other stuff to me, and that'll be good, all right? Now, um, that's what's going on. We'll have a good time, and you're going to want to be here if you're able to be here, by all means, plan on it, all right? Okay, Mark chapter 6 today. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Take just a few minutes today. Again, next week, we'll have our vision night on sunday evening six o'clock will be vision night and of course we'll be unveiling our new theme this past year we had uh fight the good fight Uh, oh we lost one of our banners there i see and uh oh i know what happened to it we gave it away already uh there's another church that uh, found out uh, that you know was talking about using that as a theme and so we offered to give them all of our banners and all of our stuff And, and of course the preacher asked me for my series and all no, he didn't. But anyway, he did ask for the banners at least, okay? So so we're going to give away all the banners and anything we have around that will help them and all the files that we have for things, you know, just so that they don't have to recreate the wheel, if you know what I'm saying. There's no reason to do that. And those banners can get expensive. They might as well use them. And so we're excited about that. So that's where the one went, I think. We sent it to them already. We'll get the other ones to them later. But uh, next week we'll unveil our new theme. And uh, certainly trust you'll be around here on uh, I think it's the 4th. F- the 4th, I believe, is the Sunday night. And so we'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday night, then, for our Vision Night. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 3 here. And uh, then we'll, we'll just go from there. Um, who knows where we'll end up today? I, I'm not sure. I, I'll tell you what, I was tempted just to bring a little gift up here and talk about a gift today. Um, I really was. and uh, uh, But, you know... <laughs> There's so many ways you can go with the Word of God, isn't there? Yeah. So many things you can share, and so many things you can give from the Scriptures. And so today, I want to look at this thought. Mark chapter six, verse one. The Bible simply says this: and he went out from thence, came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simeon? They're not his sisters here with us? They were offended at him. I just want to read those simple verses today. Jesus is ministering, of course, throughout the region. He returns to his own hometown, Nazareth, and there he begins to teach the people. Everywhere Jesus went, he did mighty miracles almost, almost everywhere. We find that in his own hometown he struggled with that because there was so little faith there. But he did mighty miracles and he did, uh, had spoke astonishing words. And it was the case here in Nazareth. It was the case here in his hometown, They were astonished, the Bible says. Have you ever listened to someone speak? I'm sure it happens every week here. You're astonished. (laughs) Maybe not by the excellence, but by the sheer simplicity of the mind at work. (laughs) But nonetheless, astonished at his words and his doctrine. And that was not uncommon, as we said. Everywhere Jesus spoke, everything he did... Astonished people. It was the same case in Capernaum. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter one, verse twenty-two, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. It was the same case at the Sea of Galilee and throughout the coast of Decapolis. The Bible tells us there in Mark seven, it says, "And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak." Everywhere Jesus went, people were astonished. And what he said and what he did. It was the same way in Jerusalem itself. The Bible tells us that Jesus had of course cast out the money changers. Uh, He had had cast them out of of the synagogue if you will. He drove them out for selling things and making his house as he called it a den of thieves. When in reality the world should know it as a house of prayer. The Bible tells us that the religious leaders of his day were very threatened by the Lord Jesus Christ because he, he wielded so much authority in his words because he did such mighty works. They were concerned that their job was at stake. Let's face it, they were, they were truly religious men but the fact was they were concerned he would reveal them as anything but godly men. In Mark chapter 11, the Bible says, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it And saw how they might destroy him. For they feared him. Because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. Boy they thought. Oh man this Jesus. He's going to wreck and ruin our whole thing man. I mean he's going to mess it all up. We got a good gig going here. We got a good thing happening. I mean we're doing just fine. And we don't need him to come in and mess it all up. The fact was that Christ Jesus was unique on so many planes these realized what so many others had already recognized, that Jesus was something, someone extremely special, unusual and different. The folks in Nazareth, they just could not deny his words of wisdom and mighty works. They couldn't do it. They were astonished. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it goes on to say, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And, They were offended at him. Before we address that first statement of the passage, I want you to note that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had other children. I want you to note that. In the passage, in the scriptures, it dispels this misguided and unscriptural doctrine that teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. She wasn't a perpetual virgin. Now, those that hold this particular doctrine or believe these certain thoughts, they'll they'll say that she she was a virgin during and after the birth of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, who defend that position will point out that Aramaic, the language of which Jesus and his disciples primarily spoke, lacked a specific word for cousin. So, therefore, the word brother was used instead. And in reality, it should read basically that it was his cousin. Did she not have some cousins? Uh, you know, no, this, this is Jesus. This is Jesus's mom having her own children. They're not just family members. They're not just friends. They're not just some other acquaintances. No, these are her children. Others argue that Jesus's brothers and sisters were really the sons of and daughters of Joseph for an, another marriage, that he had already had these Children And now brings them into the marriage with Mary. And as a result, she has children from their marriage. No, not at all. And to ensure that there's no misunderstanding, to make sure that there's no one that would uh, misapply, we find in Matthew chapter 1 verse 24 and 25, the Bible teaches us, then Joseph being raised from sleep, remember when the angel came to him and revealed to him that Mary was with child even though she was a virgin. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and, very important, knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. The phrase, knew her, is a phrase that addresses the physical relationship. It has to do with the fact that Joseph and Mary, following the birth of Jesus Christ, had a normal Marriage, relationship, including the physical part inside of it. He knew her after she had born the Christ child. Therefore, the children that she bore were her own children. The Bible says that those that heard his words were offended at him. You say, why would they have been offended at Jesus? Well, remember, this was little Jesus. I mean, he grew up in Nazareth, did he not? Not. They had watched him grow up from an infant into adulthood. I mean, they were, they were there when he cut his first teeth and took his first step. They watched him as an infant grow into a young man. They saw as he began school and learned his ABCs. They watched as he swept the floor in the carpenter's shop and as he emptied the trash and as he bid his father's uh, did his father's bidding. They they saw all of that. Reminds me of a story about two men that were on a stagecoach and they were traveling through the Wild West and the, one of them turns around and sees an Indian chasing them. He tells the driver that an Indian's chasing them and he says, well, how far away is he? The man says, well, he's, he's about this far. Showing just, you know, how small the Indian really looks to him, you know, and he's about that far. A little while later, the driver says, well, how far is that Indian now? He says, well, it's about that far. He's about... He's, he's about that, that far. He goes, well, how far is he now? He goes, well, he's about that far. And finally he turns around once and he says, how far is that Indian? He says, he's about that far. And he says, man, shoot him. Shoot him, cried the driver. I can't shoot him. I've known him since he was that tall. <laughs> These in Nazareth, had known Jesus since he was that tall. And now he stands before them proclaiming this doctrine, these truths that in reality could we could say kind of go against what they had been taught by the Pharisees and Sadducees. You say, how would you say that? Or why would you say that? Because the Bible teaches a Christ would come. I know, but they didn't. They didn't want Jesus to show up. They didn't want Messiah there because he had wrecked and ruined their whole thing. I mean, they were having sacrifices and they were taking care of the business and, man, they had a good job and, boy, things were working well for them. Man, Jesus comes and ultimately offers the ultimate sacrifice on Calvary and pays for the sin of the world. There's no longer need for them. They're offended at him. They've known him since he was that tall. And, you know, if you're not careful, let's face it, familiarity breeds... Contempt. Those kind of things happen in churches, you know. Well, I know the pastor real well. And if we're not careful, we forget his position and we only think of the person. Be very careful. Right, amen. Be very careful with things like that. Young people, your parents may be showing you a tremendous amount of flexibility and they may be being very kind to you. Don't get so familiar with mom and dad that you think somehow they're your buddy. They're not, they're still your parents and you need to obey them. But familiarity can breed contempt and become a stumbling block as it did here in Nazareth. However, they couldn't deny his teaching, could they? But they were trying to reject the source. That's little Jesus up there. Who's he think he is? Telling us about this and that. I mean, I've known him since he was that tall. Man, I bounced him on my knee. Who's he think he is? Boy, they were offended at him. <clears throat> then we come to our statement. Verse 3 opens up. Is not, is not this the carpenter? Is not this the carpenter? You know, that statement intrigued me. It kind of it got to me. I know that they should have recognized him as Messiah. They should have known him and recognized him as the consolation of Israel, even as Anna did, the prophetess. They should have known that he was Jehovah God in flesh, come as prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. But they didn't. But what really stood out in my mind was that they called him the carpenter. In a parallel passage found in the book of Matthew, the verse reads like this. Is not this the carpenter's son? Now, wait a second. Is this a contradiction of the circumstance or the situation? Was he the carpenter or was he the carpenter's son, we may say. But wait, maybe I'm wondering if there weren't people that said both. Is it possible? Of course it's possible. There were some that said, is not this the carpenter? And there were others that said, is not this the carpenter's son? And I believe that we learn a very valuable truth here. A very important truth that sometimes is overlooked, I believe. And here's the truth. Jesus had become what his daddy was. His earthly daddy. He was already what his heavenly father was. But he had become what his earthly father was. That's a very important fact. Very important truth. See, I know that he was a prophet, a priest, and a king. But as far as others could tell, he was a carpenter. He was a chip off the old block. He had become exactly what his daddy was. Can you imagine... Influencing the Savior. I mean, Jesus Christ, He's deity. But He also had Joseph to guide His hands and teach him a trade, did He not? He was influenced by His earthly father and He became a carpenter just like His earthly daddy. You know, you and I have influence in the lives of those we touch as well. Do you realize that? Where there is influence, there is opportunity. You know, and today we live in a world and a culture that sometimes if we're not careful, we throw our hands in the air and go, man, what's the point? And what a mess we find ourselves in. There's nothing I could do about this. This is ridiculous. It's too far gone. But where there is influence, there is opportunity. I wonder if your influence drives people toward God or away from Him. Does your influence inspire them to love and worship the Master or to neglect and disregard Him? What kind of influence do you have on those you touch today? I mean, think about it. Joseph. He's basically Jesus' stepdad. And yet what we find is that he has tremendous influence in the life of his son. His son becomes the carpenter. Or known as the carpenter's son. What will our children be known as? What will those we influence be known as? Today, people don't really become necessarily what their dads are professionally. Years ago, it was pretty common, wasn't it? When I was growing up, if somebody's father was a police officer, they became a police officer. If they were a fire, fireman, they became a fireman. If they were a, a, a doctor, they kind of followed in the footsteps became a doctor. If they worked at Goodyear, they kind of followed in the footsteps worked at Goodyear. I mean, it just kind of seemed that you became or followed in the footsteps of your dad as far as your profession or your livelihood was concerned. That's not necessarily the case today in our global society. Things have changed somewhat. And yet, what we are as men and women continues to be the greatest factor in who our children turn out to be. And that's a reality. I want to share three things that we must do on behalf of our children and others who we touch along the way. Real basic, nothing, nothing hard, very simple. And just see if we can't be encouraged today. Because where there is influence, there's opportunity. And there's not a person in this room that doesn't influence somebody. You have the ability to change a life. And so do I. Sometimes we've been told or come to believe we just don't. Nobody cares what I think. Nobody cares or concerned about what direction I'm going. I can't make any difference in a life. I want you to know that if an earthly man could make a difference in a supernatural being's life, then certainly you can make a difference in someone's life. Father, we come to you. Bless us in these next couple of minutes. Be glorified in everything that's said and done. Speak to our hearts. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for just the truths that we learn. Help us to apply them. In Christ's name, amen. Some things we need to do, must do, on behalf of our children and others that we touch along the way. Number one, invest. We need to invest. I want to encourage you to make an investment in your children's and in the lives of others. You need to invest. It's so imperative that we do that. Now, if I was going to invest in a stock... Or the stock market by buying 1,000 shares of a particular stock. And, and, and that's just for the sake of argument. Say that, and this is for the sake of argument, that Yahoo's stock was $10 a share. For the sake of argument. And so I take Yahoo stock and I, I buy, I'm going to buy a 1,000 shares. Well, 10 times 1,000 is what? $10,000. I'm going to invest $10,000 in Yahoo by purchasing their stock. When I make that investment, initially it costs me something. It's not till down the road sometime, hopefully, (laughs) that it produces, that it yields a yield, that my investment pays off. Now, not every investment we make pays off, does it? We make investments in certain things, maybe financially, that in the long run fall to pieces. I remember, and I've told this story before, I made an investment years ago as a 20-year-old young fella, 19 years old, I made an investment in Navistar International Stock. I bought 100 shares of Navistar International at seven and five-eighths. I paid 700 and basically, we'll just say, 760 $778 for this stock, okay? I thought it was going to be big. I mean, it, it sold at almost eight. It was supposed to sell just two months later at 12. I got the inside scoop, man. I made an investment. It took, it, it definitely moved. But I got the paperwork that said, you have just received a split in your stock. I was like, yes, yes, a split in stock. I love when stocks split because if you have 100, now you have 200 usually. Usually it's a two-to-one split. It's wholesome. Mine was a 10-to-one. woo The problem was it was backwards. Instead of having 100 shares now, I only had 10 See, I invested, but all of a sudden my investment didn't turn out quite like I thought. But I would never, ever, will I ever get anywhere until I invest, though. You know what? Because we're afraid of our stock, so to speak, we're afraid of our investment not yielding. Sometimes we fail to invest in people. Because we say, oh, it'll do no good. I'll I'll give all that time up front. I'll give all that energy up front. I'll give all those finances up front. I'll make that investment in them, and then they'll turn out to do nothing with it. It'll be all wasted. And you know, sometimes it seems that way. But remember something about investing in people as believers. God is keeping record of the investment. What it yields on earth is not really what it will yield in eternity. See, God's not looking at just the person you're investing in. He's looking at your investment, and He has record of it, and it's multiplying daily in heaven. You never go wrong investing in people as a believer because God's keeping record if He has counted all the hairs on our head, if He is keeping track of every idle word, let me tell you, He knows every time we make an investment in the lives of others. And whether they turn out a positive investment from the world standpoint or from our visual standpoint, that is not really all that matters. What really matters is that God's keeping record. And that payoff will be there in the end if we do it with the right spirit and the right attitude. We need to invest in friends and in family and in loved ones. We need to invest in the bus children and the new converts and the lost and others. That means that we're going to first have to put forth the investment. We're going to have to give to the cause. We're going to have to put more in it up front than we're getting back at first. I remember just watching it recently, Charlie Brown's Christmas. Sally goes to her brother and says, I've been looking for you, big brother. Will you please write a letter to Santa for me? Charlie Brown, of course, says, Well, I don't have much time. I'm supposed to get down to the school auditorium to direct a Christmas play. He was so proud, remember? Sally, uh, her hands on a clipboard and pen, hands it to Charlie Brown. and, "You, You write it and I'll tell you what I want to say. Charlie Brown sticks the pen in his mouth and he says, Okay, shoot. Dear Santa Claus, how have you been? Did you have a nice summer? How is your wife? I've been extra good this year, so I have a long list of presents that I want. Oh, brother, Charlie Brown says. Please note the size and color of each item and send as many as possible. If it seems too complicated, make it easy on yourself. Just send money. How about tens and twenties? Charlie Brown says, tens and twenties? Oh, even my baby sister. All I want is what I, I I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share. That's what she says. Too often, that's the attitude we possess in life. And let me tell you, that attitude will keep you from investing in others because you're not going to necessarily get back what you put in. At least not in this life. But honestly, if we want to... Make an impact in lives. If we truly want to make a, influence others, then we're going to have to invest. God invested in us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave His Son. Made an investment. Unfortunately, there are many that will not benefit from the investment because they'll choose not to accept the Son, Jesus Christ. But God was willing to give anyway. And I'm glad He did, or I would not be here today. I want to encourage you to invest in your children, your marriage, your family, your friends. I want to encourage you to invest in the ministry that God has given you. Number two, not only invest, but we must influence. And I know that's what we're talking about, influence in general, but this is a part of that investment again. And as I mentioned, influence is is very powerful. It's really a gift. If you have any influence at all, and you do, then it's a gift. Every parent in the room has influence. Everyone has influence. Every parent has influence. It may not be as much as you'd like, it may even be more than you would like. But we have influence. If you have any influence, you need to use it for God and for good. That's just a reality. Too many are using their influence for the wrong reasons. And yet the Bible exhorts us in Hebrews ten twenty four And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's what we should use our influence to do. To provoke unto love and to good works. There's no, this is no truer than with our children. Teaching them, influencing them to love and to do right and to do good works. And you know what, we have an opportunity to do that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12, speaking to that young man, Timothy, the Bible says, Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Maybe you as a parent or maybe a grandma or grandpa, possibly as a a bus worker or maybe even a a captain or maybe you're just working in the Sunday schools or possibly you sit in the pew each week, week in and week out and you interact with a certain young person or a certain uh, other peer on a regular basis. Maybe you could be the one to challenge them to memorize a scripture, to possibly pray or to be faithful in some area. See, if you, have, if you are a human being, if you still are breathing, you have influence, whether it be little or a lot. You at least have some. And let me tell you, that's a gift. You need to use it for God and good. And so must I. Invest, influence. And finally, we must instruct. It's so important that we instruct. Um, we need to teach. Teach. In the book of 2 Timothy, turn there if you would please. Again, we're there in this time 2 Timothy chapter 1. When we consider our children and others that we touch along the way, we must invest, influence, and ultimately instruct. I think again of Joseph there working in the carpenter shop and Jesus being God in flesh. And yet, when he's recognized there in Nazareth, the people say, wait a second, (laughs) is not this the carpenter? They knew him for what he had become. For 30 years, he's a carpenter. 30 years, he's working in the shop. For 30 years, he's a chip off the old block, so to speak. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul the Apostle speaking now to Timothy, his protege, his son in the faith. He says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. I mean, his mother and his grandma had invested in Timothy's life. They had instructed him. They had influenced him. They had taught him the word of God and passed down the traditions and passed down the faith. Timothy had become a byproduct of his mother and grandmother's investment and influence. As we mentioned the other day again, his father was an unbeliever. The fact is, is that a mom raising a child to be a man of God without the aid or help of a father. Don't don't disregard your influence. Don't dismiss your influence. Don't allow the devil to tell you that you cannot make an impact or a difference in a life. You can. But let me tell you, if you have influence to make a difference for good, then you can also make a difference for evil. God, help us to be the examples we ought to be. To invest in lives. To influence lives. To instruct lives. We teach them, but we're to warn them as well. Take your Bible, look at Proverbs chapter 1, would you please? Verse 10. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. Proverbs is considered the book of wisdom. The wisest man to ever live was the one who penned it. God used him to pen these words. They're, of course, God's words using an instrument of his by the name of Solomon. Proverbs says, My son, and if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay for wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Boys, parents, as grandparents, as even men and women dealing with youngsters and adults alike in the ministry, we have a responsibility to warn people. One of the most touchy areas of the ministry is expressing to people areas in their present life that will cause them danger in the future the first thing that wants to come out of people's mouth is, don't judge me. I'm concerned about the direction you're going. Don't judge me. I'm worried about that practice you've taken up. Don't judge me. I'm fearful for the fact that you've not been in services lately. Don't judge me. I'm not trying to judge. I just want to warn because I've seen it described and depicted in scripture as well as in life. so animosity intended. There's no desire to hurt or harm. There's only to warn and help. Don't judge me. 90% of the time, that's the response. Whether it's verbal or just heartfelt. Who died and made you God? Nobody. I'm just reading what God says. He's still God, and I'm just trying to warn you. I want you to encourage you. I want to help you. Sad, though, isn't it? To watch our children, grandchildren. To watch our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our friends, loved ones take steps, decisions, go in a direction that leads them nowhere good. It's even worse when we try to address it and encourage them and help them and they say, don't judge me. Isn't that hard? You ever had that happen? You're not trying to be mean. You're not trying to be better than anyone. You're just simply trying to say, I know where that path leads. Maybe you've traveled the path already or maybe you knew somebody that did, or possibly you read about it in Scripture, but you, you're warning them, you're trying to help them, don't. That's sad, isn't it? May I say this? If you have influence in a life, you cannot be afraid of hearing those words. You have to be strong enough to share what God puts on your heart in a loving, kind, considerate way there are some that we can be very firm and strong with, our children. There are some that we have to be a little bit more careful with, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But either way, if we've truly loved people, we're going to help to, we're going to seek to influence them for God and good, no matter the cost. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to live a life that places you on a platform where you have authority and influence for God and good. Because if you don't have influence for God and good, then you have influence the other way. You would never, ever, 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 Lord willing, take me home, I guess, if I break this. You never catch me drinking a beer. Because I'd be afraid one of these young men would misunderstand what was going on. Even if I have a right to. Someone says, well, you have liberty. You can do whatever you want. I'd still go to heaven drinking beer. I could drink beer and go to heaven. I could. I could. That's not the litmus test for salvation. Salvation and eternal life are wrapped up in one. You get saved. You're already going to heaven. You're good to go. But Here's the problem. I have influence. And I'm either going to influence for God and good I'm going to influence for Satan and evil. I don't care how little influence you think you have. You're influencing one way or the other. And I want to encourage you to think that through in everything you say and do. Think it through. Somebody's watching. And may I say today that no matter what, God is watching. And thank God that He's watching and He's not standing in heaven with a big old baseball bat waiting to knock our heads off. He's there in heaven. He lovingly cares for us and wants to see us succeed on his behalf. He's so patient with us, so long-suffering. Think about how many times God should have taken you out. How many times God should have spanked you, and he didn't sometimes. I mean, and God did something, somehow, way, ooed us and wooed us to him, but the fact is, is that he's so patient with us. We need to think about that when dealing with others, too, by the way. But remember there's a God in heaven that loves you today. He made an investment in your life long before you even knew He existed. 2,000 years ago, He came, took His place on earth as a mere man, suffered the wrath of His creation, humiliated, maligned and mistreated, to make an investment in your life in eternity. There he was marched up Golgotha's hill. Nailed to a cross. Beaten and battered. Bruised. Humiliated. On an old cross. Giving his very life. To pay for your sin and mine. Will you let Christ influence you today? Will you give Him that right, that authority in your life? If you've never trusted Him, I want you to know that He did all of that for you because He loved you before you ever even knew He existed. You just simply need to accept what He did as payment for your sin and realize that He alone can pay for it and He alone can wash your sin away and take you to heaven. Only He can do that. Not coming to this church is going to get it done. Not reading the Bible that he left behind will get that done. Not praying night and day will get that done. Not giving to all the charities in the world will get that done. Not celebrating Christmas and Easter and every other religious holiday will get that done. The only way our sins forgiven. The only way we're acceptable in the sight of a holy God. The only way that we can ever arrive safely on heaven's shore is to truly trust him alone for our for for payment for our sin to truly say, Christ, only you can take me there. Only you can forgive me. Only you can wash me clean. He made an investment. Will that investment pay off in your life in eternity now? If you've never trusted him, you need to make it pay off. And then if you have, will you allow him to continue to influence you for God and good? Will you allow him to have his will and way in your life? That's your decision. I trust today that we'll be known as he is known. Is not this the carpenter? When they see us, will they see him? Because that's really what we're to be, isn't it? Christ like, just like the one who invested in us. Father, we come to you.